Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's, where the crew is on your team. Grab your shopping cart, make a quick snap, and move out of the pocket. Run an option to the demo station. Make an end around to the snacks, then find an eligible receiver to take you to the end zone. Learn more at TraderJoe's.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram. Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, and this week I'm joined by Bruce sitting right next to me on the couch after on a late Monday night of New Year's Day, 2018. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year's to our listeners and to you, Stu. So we had the better game, or the more entertaining game of the two semifinals. We're at the Rose Bowl for a shootout between Georgia and Oklahoma. I want to ask you, though, first, in context, last year I was at this game where I was at the Rose Bowl where it was Penn State, USC, and they felt pretty similar at times to this. I mean, the uniforms were different. The stakes were higher today, but where you had a bunch of huge plays. Uh, what was the biggest thing that surprised you today? I would not have guessed the score would be anything close to 54-48. Yeah, you know, that's not... You know, I know some of that was overtime, obviously, but you know, I could have definitely seen what ended up happening where Georgia's running game uh, was pretty much unstoppable. You know, I, I thought Oklahoma's defense could be a problem, but I know I would not have guessed it would be just up and down, high-scoring game like that. Georgia's got a very good defense, and they showed it in the second half, but in the first half, they really had no answer for Baker Mayfield and for Rodney Anderson, for that matter. I got to give Lincoln Riley a lot of credit. I thought his play calling in the first half of that game, he just, everything was perfect. But I also have to criticize Lincoln Riley for not putting the ball in Baker Mayfield's hands in overtime. I think what what you started to see, you know, you, you talk to enough people after the game, you get some different answers. I had asked Bill Biedenbaugh, who's the O-line coach at Oklahoma, I was like, what exactly did they do differently? And he said, well, this you saw a lot more a stunning and twist from the, from the Georgia defensive line, I said, was that because they didn't do that really in the first first half. Now they did it on we saw it on film, but they're good, and you know that impacted us. You know, Baker said that he thought they blitzed more on first and second down. I, I certainly think that what you saw, you know, different things were. I think their secondary ended up playing pretty well. Because it was strange in that, just like you said, Rodney Anderson had a huge game. Yeah, did not see that coming. And it was almost like overshadowed by, I mean, in one way almost overshadowed because Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb combined averaged 13 yards a carry, which is insane. At one point they were averaging 20 yards a carry. And so you had another running back having this massive game. And I'm saying all that to get to this. This was not a great game for Baker. You know, he threw a pick. There were times where it was up and down. The, other, the guy I, I was 
pleasantly surprised by was Jake Fromm. Now, I know he's like in the top five in the country in passing efficiency going in, but what impressed me was he was just very sharp today. You know, people are like, well, there were a couple throws he made that were big money throws. And granted, you know, the running backs do all the damage, but I, I just thought he handled himself for being a true freshman on that stage. And you can say the Oklahoma defense is really suspect, and you're right. But, you know, again, to me, that was that was something that, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I was just impressed by it. It's the first time I've seen him in person. I mean, I'd seen him at, at like, the Elite 11 and stuff like that, but you can't tell anything from that. I mean, this is just, he, you know, he played really well, and they did it. I thought, you know what, I think Georgia staff did a really good job in handling this situation because at one point we're in the – it's in this late second quarter, and I'm sitting next to Daniel Jeremiah, who's the NFL scout, you know, for NFL Network, who we've had on our podcast a few times before. And he goes, "Watch, it's going to be 38 to 14 by the next time Georgia gets the ball." And what happened was Georgia ended up kicking that long, you know, 55 yard field goal yeah. at the end of the end of the half, and then they were able to get a three and out, I think, on Oklahoma, or at least got you know got a stop right away. And instead of it going to 38-17, it was 31-17, and then Georgia just kept on battling and were able to overtake them. One of the strangest plays of that game was the squib, the, the Oklahoma squib kick late in the first half, which gave Georgia the chance to kick that 55-yard field goal. I'm not saying the whole game changed on that, but it made a difference. Yeah, I think I'm actually curious for your perspective. So you were at the USC-Penn State game last year. As you said, this one had higher stakes because it was a playoff game. But was one or the other more exciting than the other? You know, that I don't want to say that game had more star power because, you know, you had the Heisman Trophy winner, and certainly Georgia has two terrific running backs. But I thought, you know, what you also had were these huge swells in it where I think Penn State, looking back, you know, Penn State had like 49 points in the game and two of the quarters they didn't score a point. So it was just like it was just a ton of back and forth. In regard to this, you know, it, it just felt very similar. Again, yeah. but the stakes were higher. There were so many momentum swings. I certainly thought when Georgia went on its run in the second half and took the lead and had all the momentum, at that point I'm thinking they're going to win the game. Then not only does Baker, who had been shut down, I think five straight drives at that point, had thrown an interception, not only does he lead them down the field and tie the game, but then in your ultimate momentum kind of play – the the fumble that Oklahoma yeah, returned. Yeah, Caleb Kelly gets his helmet on the football, yeah. and then it's a scoop and score for, I don't know, 40 yards away. So now Oklahoma's retaking the lead, but again, Jake Fromm, to his credit, leads them down the field, sends it into overtime, where again, for some reason, Lincoln Riley got really conservative and ran the ball three straight plays in that first overtime. You know, ultimately, I think... It's one, of the, one of those plays, it was third and two, and they ran a little... It was kind of a jet sweep to Jordan Small, who is this really physical, muscled-up wide receiver. Now, I talked to people at, in the OU locker room afterwards, and that's a play they've run a couple of times and scored touchdowns on it. And, you know, the answer was they saw it on film, and they were actually they were ready for it, and they yeah. just made a really good play. Ultimately, you know, it's weird to say this about a team right after a playoff game, a playoff game that they almost won. Oklahoma was almost in the national championship game. I have to worry about Mike Stoops' future at this point because that was in, in you know he's been questioned for a while. Defense is not the strong suit of this team. I mean that was embarrassing. What, what Chubb and Michelle did to those those are two excellent backs. Don't get me wrong, 
But if you were to go through their season and, frankly, their careers, they never had anything quite like this to be able to just do whatever. I mean, the ultimate insult is that the game-winning play was a wildcat play that they basically just said, Michelle is going to take the ball and you're not going to be able to stop him. And they didn't. You shouldn't be giving up 35, 50, 40, like all of these long touchdown runs. Did that feel to you more like, and I know I see these games a lot more than you do because I'm out doing Big 12 games from time to time. Did that feel more like a Big 12 game or an SEC game? It felt more like a Big 12 game, but it also kind of, you know, the people who scoff and say, oh, Big 12 defenses stink can now say, you know, the Big 12 defenders can now say, well, Oklahoma did for the most part exactly to Georgia what they do to other Big 12 defenses. Same thing with Ohio State early in the season, although by the end of it, Mayfield had the lowest uh, passer rating he's had since the Ohio State loss early last season. But yeah, I mean, you don't expect to see that kind of game in the SEC. But I think that uh, I think Oklahoma was just had a really, really good offense this year. Okay, let's go to the other game. And in, in, in full disclosure, Stu and I both were in the lo- either in the locker room or in press conferences for much of the first half. And then we were writing our stories for the the rest of it. So we probably saw by the time I focused on the the uh, Clemson Alabama game, it was already pretty much decided. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I looked up and there's Deron Payne, you know, yeah, make, making two big plays, one on offense and one on defense. I picked Clemson to win that game, but the one thing that has given that gave me some pause all year, and this is as somebody who hasn't seen that much Clemson this year, was the quarterback play. And I thought that was an issue, but I also, obviously, whenever I was looked up, I just thought Alabama was just whipping Clemson on, at the line of scrimmage. And they just were, you know, forcing a lot of negative plays. Clemson was a weird team this season in that, and I think you'd agree, it never felt like, it never, just watching them, they never felt like, oh yes, this is Deshaun Watson era Clemson. This is those kind of teams. But at the end of the day, they finished with the same record. They won the ACC and, you know, won most of their big games very convincingly. So you you had to give them credit for that. But I'm kind of with you, not so much about Kelly Bryant, but they made it through the season with not much of a running game. And that showed tonight. Alabama shut them down. I, I feel like you saw, you know, an Alabama team that I'm sure spent five weeks hearing from their coach People think you don't belong in this thing. Ticked off that they didn't get a chance to even play for the SEC championship. And then getting guys back healthy. It just looked like a angry, healthy Alabama team. And frankly, doing you know almost like the, the 2016 defense with, with the big defensive plays and turnovers. And you know, it went throwing to the trunk. And what jumps out at me a little bit, just even looking at, you know, we're looking at, at a box score is... There were no big plays in this game. No. And Clemson didn't have a play longer than 20 yards, and even Alabama didn't have one longer than 22. I mean, I think we, we you That's and I— That's the opposite of the game we saw yeah. in Pasadena. Well, you and I kind of, you know, hit the jackpot twice in that we, A, got to see the great Rose Bowl, and including the end from the sideline, and then because we were busy, didn't actually have to watch much of this dreadful game. For me, it was, I feel like, payback for having sat through the— Michigan State, Alabama, and Ohio State, Clemson shutouts the last two years to get a great semifinal. All right, to the topic everybody wants to know about. How do we feel about an all-SEC championship game? I mean, I, I feel like we're playing with the house's money. I, I mean, 
They're two really good teams. Are they the two best teams? Evidently, because they're here. Um, you know, the part that I think people will have a frustration with is threefold, I think. The first part they're going to have frustration is there is such Alabama fatigue. And I think unless you're an Alabama fan, you get, you know, I've said this two years ago. I think Nick Saban's the best coach that college football's ever seen. And that just keeps, you know, I feel like my argument gets stronger each year. But I think people are, or people are tired of them. Will they be tired of, of Georgia because Georgia's new to the scene? I hope not. But I just think there's, so there's Alabama fatigue is one. Two, I think there's an element of, at one point we're looking at the SEC was going to be two and five. And a lot of people were looking at going, well, if they lose both these games, it's almost as bad, if not as bad, as what the Pac-12 did. Well, it didn't happen. But the two and five in non-playoff games remains, whereas you have, you know, they're two and oh in playoff games. And so, you know, it's almost like, you know, Paul Feinbaum can give all the critics the middle finger. Goes, right. Does it matter? We win those. Yeah, there was a time when I truly believed the SEC was better, a better conference than everybody else. And they got two teams in the championship game that one year, and that wasn't ideal. But it was, it felt like the best conference was putting the two teams in the. It doesn't feel that way this year. I think the bowl results pretty much played out exact. The bowl results confirmed what we all felt about the SEC this year. They had two great teams. Turns out the two best teams, and then a bunch of mediocrity. And Auburn is the weird one in there where they literally beat both of the teams that will be playing for the national championship. And then lost to That's what I want to ask UCF. you about. So does, if you're UCF, do you have any claim? Whatever happens in the, in the national title game, do you think there will be some voters who will vote UCF, give them the number one? Give them the number That's one. a good question. Will an AP voter, because they can vote for whoever they want, will an AP voter give them like a token number one? Yeah, I think that could happen. I feel like that happened with Utah in 2008 when they were the only undefeated team. They they finished number two, I believe, Wait. and got some first place votes. But Utah in two thousand eight, Utah in two thousand four, Utah in two thousand eight when Brian Johnson, Brian Johnson, when they went undefeated, and because they had beaten Alabama, so you know that was a that was a really big bowl win. And I mean, in this case, they beat Auburn. Yeah, I mean, Auburn has two, has wins over both these teams. And the unfortunate thing for the group of five teams is like they can't win, right? Because they do win that game, and then everybody just says, well, Auburn wasn't up for it. You know, they, how's Auburn supposed to get excited? They were just in the SEC championship game. How are they supposed to get excited to go back to Atlanta to play a group of five team? Whereas the, for UCF, this is the Super Bowl. One thing you got to give UCF credit for is, how did Scott Frost pull off going back and forth to Nebraska all that time and still have that team ready to go? I, I'm not of the, well, they should have been in the playoff crowd, but it, it does look... The committee ends up looking – if you're somebody who wants to say the committee is, like, be purposely being exclusionary, you got a pretty good argument with them. Why were they number 12? Right. Like, well, if I they were number right 7, okay. But the, the committee had them so far out of it, even as they were – even towards the end when they beat – if you want to say they hadn't played anybody. They beat Memphis twice. They beat Memphis twice. Well, in the last two weeks of the season, they beat USF. USF and Memphis, both of whom were ranked. So – you know that that to me was the more insulting part that they were saying. Not only do we not think you're really in the hunt to be one of the four best, but we think you're worse than. I mean, at one point they were behind Mississippi State. So you genuinely feel that way? What's that? 
that the committee committee screwed UCF? I think the committee had them too low. I don't think that there's any. I'm not one who thinks like it's this, an injustice that they weren't in the playoff. It's not like you're gonna throw a drink in Bill Hancock's face. No, I mean it's not UCF's fault, but you know when you when you're only real when your only Power Five win is against Maryland, when it's not like Houston beating right. Oklahoma last year in Louisville, they they just don't have much to to go by, and so you know, there's always gonna be sympathy for the little guy, if you will, but. You know, at the end of the day, if all you have to do is go undefeated, no matter who you play, then why would anybody schedule up? Can I? So we we hit on the SEC. Can I ask you? Is the is it an overreaction how putrid the Pac-12 has been in this bowl season, or is it something where you're like, you know, because we both live out here mm-hmm. and we both see them probably more than a lot of people. Um, if you're a Pac-12 fan, what do you make of all of this? Are you embarrassed? Yeah, I'd be embarrassed. Now, again, everything's cyclical. There was well, it's, yeah, everything's cyclical. But if you look at it, granted, Josh Rosen and, and Luke Falk didn't play in the game. No conference has better quarterbacks right now than the Pac-12. Sure. And usually, that's a thing that matters, but it didn't matter. Well, what I think, if you look at the teams, what really let down the Pac-12 this year was their defenses. Stanford had Bryce Love, and by the end of the season, KJ Costello was playing well, and they went nine and five. Their defense gave up those big plays in the Alamo Bowl, let TCU come back in it. Um, they got shredded early in the season by San Diego State. So it wasn't all that, though, because USC's defense actually played really well against Ohio State the other night. Not so great against Notre Dame. When I no, no doubt. Game. But I'm just saying in the bowl game, yeah. like USC's defense played very well. They probably, their, their defense got better as the year went along. Just like I said, the SEC's bowl performance kind of mirrored what I thought of them during the season. Same thing with the Pac-12. They were the first conference eliminated from the playoff. USC ends up winning their conference, but USC... I mean, here's how USC did out of conference this year. Struggled to beat Western Michigan. Struggled to beat Texas. Struggled to beat Texas. Got destroyed by Notre Dame and got destroyed by Ohio State. So that's the best team in the Pac-12. That's how they stacked up nationally. It just... It is what it is. It wasn't a good year. Uh, You know who was the big winner of the bowl season? The Big Ten. The Big Ten, not only did they, except for Michigan, pretty much, they handled their business. I thought Michigan State had a hell of a performance. I saw that the other day in the Holiday Bowl. Uh, you know, I thought Penn State sends out Saquon Barkley with a really great performance. Ohio, Ohio State's defense was at least very dominant. But on top of that, on top of that, Wisconsin had a nice win in Miami's backyard. On top of that, Nebraska, who has been underwhelming for so long, you know, they had, to me, they were one of the big winners of, of Monday because Scott Frost, as you said, does double duty, goes back there, leads the team to an impressive win over a good opponent. And I think you can really sell that. I mean, it's like, I don't know of anybody who has had, who probably looks better for their coaching hire than Nebraska does right now. Nebraska and UCLA, I think, both. Won the coaching carousel. Now, uh, one thing, though, to your point about the Big Ten. So the Big Ten went 7-1 and one in bowl games. Thanks, Jim Harbaugh, for screwing that up. Could have been 8-0. Will Muschamp took care of business in the uh, Outback Bowl. Okay, so that doesn't mean that they ha- that, that it was that the committee made some huge mistake by not having a Big Ten team in the playoff. Would you have felt, different? felt differently if Alabama lost 27-10? to 10? 
No, because I was saying these things before they even played the game. I mean, I still think it could have gone either way on Alabama or Ohio State. I don't think there's any great injustice so Ohio State got left out. You can have the best conference and not necessarily have one of the four best teams. What they do have is the number five team who crushed the Pac-12 champ. Penn State crushed a really good team from the Pac-12. Michigan State. They beat them. I wouldn't say they crushed them. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. Michigan State. I got the uh, Michigan State too, did crush. Michigan State crushed Washington, Washington State. State. These teams were in good matchups. You know, it wasn't like they were beating up on lesser opponents. These were comparable matchups, and they did really well. But I guess to, to your, I mean, if you're going to play that hypothetical, if Ohio State played Clemson uh, in the Sugar Bowl, would it have been a similar result than than Alabama Clemson? You know, I watched the I watched the Cotton Bowl, and I was not as you know, I was impressed obviously by the Ohio State defensive line, which we've been impressed by most of the year. I didn't come away going, "Wow, that's a great team Ohio State has." I mean, I saw them in person a couple of times, including one of their best performances, but I didn't see that necessarily. I mean, I don't think USC was. I never thought USC was that good this year, and USC's defense actually handled Ohio State. You know, they had. And they forced turnovers, but, you know, there's the Deontay Burnett, you know, catch and run early in the game. That turns out that there's a fumble, and Darnold throws a pick six. It wasn't like that was a that was an awful Do I not game. remember JT Barrett breaking some long runs in that game? I mean, Stu, they had like 275 yards of offense. I came away from it a different impression than you did. I didn't come away with like, oh, USC shut them down. It was more like USC... Ohio State rarely had the ball because they were either scoring fast or turnovers. They had some short fields, but I mean, remember they had, they scored seventeen points on offense, right? So it wasn't that great of a night. It it was a weird game where it felt like it was out. It was over pretty quickly, and then yeah, you look at the box score and what Ohio State only gained two hundred seventy seven yards. They averaged less yards per play. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You, J.K. Dobbins, 13 carries for 39 yards. Mike Weber, 5 carries for 18 yards. They did a nice job there. They played a lot better than they certainly were. That's a team that was really beat up on defense. And once they were healthy. I mean, when I saw them against Notre Dame, I think well, some, there, there were some unusually large number of guys. They were hurt. line too. Yeah. As they got healthy, they got better. So when you look ahead to Georgia-Alabama, it's easy to get caught up in what we just saw. I was really impressed with georgia you could make an argument that Georgia was the better team than Alabama during the regular season. They were the remember they started at number one in the playoff rankings ahead of Alabama. But of course, you're talking about this is Alabama's sixth appearance in the national championship game in nine seasons, third straight appearance. Georgia hasn't been on this stage, so obviously the safer pick, the team you trust more, is going to be Alabama. Give me the reason why Alabama would beat Georgia. The reason why. I think because there is the experience of being through the process by pretty much everybody there, even they were there last year. I think Alabama, the experience is the, to me the biggest reason. I don't look at Alabama and think they're going to physically dominate Georgia. But I wouldn't they, think so. But they did dominate the line of scrimmage against Clemson. I really think Clemson not having a great running game, not having great stable running backs, one of whom got knocked out of the game pretty early. Georgia's going to line up with Chubb and Michelle. Alabama's going to play a really stellar defensive game to completely shut them down. They could slow them down. I like Georgia in this game. Wow. Going on the limb. I don't know if that's actually that big of a limb. I don't think it's that big of a limb. Remember, the game's in Atlanta. 
they're playing this in their home field. Plenty of Crimson Tide fans there, I'm sure. I'm sure there will. I mean, what do you think the breakdown will be? Seventy thirty. Not sixty-five, thirty-five, something like that. But yeah, I mean, it's in Atlanta. Georgia fans don't have to travel anywhere to go to it. It's interesting. They haven't won the national title since nineteen eighty. They have a chance to do it in their kind of home away from home at the new Falcon Stadium. Now, here, here's what may be messing with me a little bit. This Alabama team may be the most boring of all those teams that went to the championship game. Because there's no Lane Kiffin to spice it up? There's no Lane Kiffin to spice it up. There's not even... By the way, Nick Saban had a royal-ass chewing late in the game for Brian Dayball. And Nick Saban did for Brian Dayball. Yes. 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 This was like, because... It was late in the game, and Jalen Hurst was running, like, was rolling out and basically kept the clock running. Or, I'm sorry, stopped the clock, and he was like, why are we not running the football? And there was right. a lot of explosives going on. I saw that. No, there's not a – Jalen Hurts is a good player. Don't get me wrong. Calvin Ridley's a good player. But even, like, Damian Harris, Bo Scarborough, they haven't – they're not the – this is not one of their more dynamic – Running back tandems they've Yeah, had. the star of the team is Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, and the star of the team is Minka Fitzpatrick. There's not a Reuben Foster back there. There's not, you know, I don't know. It, I'm not saying they're not a good team. They are. They don't really jump out at you. you like they had Amari Cooper or somebody like that. You're not ready to crown Deron Payne? And, uh, is, uh, yeah, you know, he really, uh, I would say he raised his profile quite a bit. All right, I got one last thing for you. Okay. I know how much you love... NFL quarterback draft NFL draft quarterback evaluations. Okay. We're going to be doing that a lot over the next four months, I'm sure. You know that I don't particularly care about it, but this one, for some reason, is piquing my interest. If an NFL team, the Cleveland Browns or whoever, takes Josh Allen over Baker Mayfield, that team deserves to go 0-16 every year for the rest of time. What, there is nothing not to like about Baker. I, I'm sure he'll get picked apart over the next four they months. Don't, they won't love his height. And, but, but, but shouldn't that be a non – shouldn't that well, here's not the, be a here's factor the, Here's their counter, that if you are going to be that, that, that height, there's only two guys who are that height who have really excelled in any length of time of late, and that is Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, and those guys are both considered exemplary character people. There is some question, character question about Baker. He's had some, a few off-field issues. There's also a little bit of a question of how well he throws into tight windows, which is something you don't really see too often. Although, honestly, Rosen and Darnold, you know, do do it and will attempt it. And and the thing with Josh Allen, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but Josh Allen will put together a highlight film where you're like, wow, he makes some huge throws. But he also completes like 55% of his passes, and that would give me pause. And when he's played anybody relatively as good as them, he's not played well. There was a throw Baker had in the second quarter, I don't know if you remember this, where he... he Was it a throw on the run? uh, He was... No, he was in the pocket. Nobody was open. And And if you watched him, you saw him look off at least three different guys. And then just throw a dart to Mark Andrews over the safety's head. He wasn't even looking in that direction until he threw it. That's the kind of stuff that I think I think NFL people, any evaluators at any level, need to be paying more attention to that and less attention to, well, he's got that rocket arm and he looks like an NFL quarterback. I mean, the, what you see and how you process it, and you wrote all about that in your book, 
to me is the most important thing. Now, it's a different story if it's Josh Rosen. You know, I could if it's going to be Josh Rosen over Baker, I think that's okay. But I think somebody's really outsmarting themselves if that's, it's Josh Allen. It's, it's, we mentioned Darnold. Can I ask you one last thing? Just uh, I talked to uh, Brian Fisher, who's been around USC a bunch, and he works for. You know, he's been writing for, I guess, the last 10 years. And he, I said to him, what do you make of the game, Cotton Bowl? And he goes, if you're USC, where do you go from here? And I do wonder, like, that kind of, you know, just on the USC front, like, what do you think USC is? Like, what do you make of USC right now? I think USC is in a weird position where if you were to look at just the record, you would say, oh, wow, Clay Helton over the last two years, he won a Rose Bowl won the Pac-12 and title. won the Pac-12 title. Like, that's, most coaches, you would say, that's a great job, job well done. But because of the, was it 52-6 to Alabama last year? Yeah. And, and the 1-3 start, and then this year's Notre Dame and bowl game performances, I feel like most people don't have a whole lot of faith in Clay Helton. And they know that Chip Kelly's coming across town, and they feel like this guy's not cut out for this, this clash. Uh, but we know we can't really run him off yet. So, I don't know, they're a bit of a crossroads, but I think a, the, the big one to watch is going to be Darnold. People are all over the map on this. In fact, I kind of blame you for contributing to this. Back when we did the podcast at last year's NFL Combine, and you were telling everybody, oh, people there, the talk of the town is that Sam Darnold's no, going to be the number one pick next year. the top five guy. But, yes, there was a lot of talk about Sam Darnold's going to be number one next year. Yes. At that point, he had started ten games in his career. He's coming off a redshirt freshman season. So now this season, he struggled at times. I mean, if you were to look at his stats, he looks like he had a good season. But he definitely struggled at times. Way too many turnovers. I, and, my and prediction is if, within the next week or two when you start seeing these – Top 50 drafts from more people who are plugged in than just like the ones who do it when they're before their junior year. I bet you will see Saquon Barkley will be the number one overall prospect, and I bet you Sam Darnold will be in the top four. Top four overall? Mm-hmm. In so, those, in, the, in that about. All right, so given that, are you sure? Are you, how certain are you, that scale one to 10, that he's coming out? Uh, I would put it at a six. I would have put it as a five which meant 50-50 a week ago before the the Ohio State game. So that's the thing, right? Like, I think he probably wants to come back. And he probably wants to come back. He probably knows he needs another year. But you, it sounds like what you're saying is he sees the writing on the wall. This offensive line's not going to get any better. I don't know if these coaches can help me. Why would I stay? That's pretty much what I think. Just to let the listeners know, when I said that, Bruce let out a big yawn. And pointed at me as in like, yeah, what he said. So I think that might be our cue to, to, to end this. It is, it's not three in the morning like it, it was after the like championship game last year because we're on Pacific time, but it is midnight. So we are both heading to Atlanta on Thursday. That's correct. Going to be a fun weekend of festivities around the Clemson, Alabama game. And we'll be able to do another in-person podcast for you guys from there. See you next time. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. If you enjoy college football podcasts, also subscribe to the All-American Podcast with Nicole Auerbach, Max Olson, and Chantel Jennings. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our intro song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. 
follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel, and subscribe to The All-American, if you haven't done so already, at theathletic.com slash all-american. So come on, get-